you recognize our opening video as uh, kind of a takeoff on the 50s version of family or uh, 50 television shows. Uh, everything from the black and white uh, to the fashion, to the kitchen appliances, uh, to the curtains, to the use of the word swell. You just know, okay, I know where we're going here. I, I know what this time period looked like and felt like and uh, sounded like. Even if you uh, didn't live it, you know that we typically associate that time frame as the good old days. Like when somebody says the good old days, this is kind of what they're talking about, this era of family and parenting and life uh, in America and the way that looked uh, it's interesting that the statements in the video, uh, um, they, they remind us that there was sort of, in, in these television shows, there was this sort of idea that if you just did it this way, like you organized your family this way, then everything's going to be perfect. Like you just, you had a system. Uh, if you fit into the mold, if you had those curtains, if you had those appliances, if your dad was like that and your mom was like that, then the kids were going to turn out like this. It was just kind of a well-crafted mold of what the family was going to be. And some of the phrases from that opening video like this one, when work at home is planned and organized with cooperation, there can usually be more time for leisure. That's all you're missing. Like if you're tired, if you're worn out, you just need to get planned and organized and have a little more cooperation and you have plenty of time for leisure. This is kind of the approach. The, these are the statements. This is the system. This is the way it should look in your family. Or this phrase. Wouldn't we all be happier if we worked out a little system for living together in harmony? Like that's all it takes. Some of you are here. You're having conflict in your family. You just need a little system. That's all you need is a little system. Everybody will get along. Everybody will cooperate. Everything will be perfect in your family. Or my favorite, most family problems can be solved through frank and friendly discussion, which points the way to a happy family life. You just need frank and friendly Discussions. Like, I don't know what frank and friendly discussions are. I know what frank discussions are, and they usually lead to non-friendly, unfriendly discussions. Like, frank and friendly typically don't go together in our family. Maybe they do in yours. But here's the projection. If you just follow this script... If you, if you just follow this system, if you just follow this order, things are going to be so much better. And, and we spend a lot of time uh, talking about how, you know, if we could just get back to, you, you know, people who always have that conversation, if we could just get, get back to the way things were, if we could just go back to... The 70s roll in, and of course, Archie Bunker shows up in All in the Family. I'm not going to sing it, but here's the lyrics to the theme song. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played, songs that made the hit parade, guys like us, we had it made, and here's the line, those were the days. Exactly, you know it, those were the days. And you know where you were then, girls were girls and men were men. Mister, we could use a man like Herbert Hoover again, didn't need no welfare states, everybody pulled his weight, gee, our old LaSalle ran great, those were the days. Oh, they were so much better. They were so easy. And, and I admit, <clears throat> they probably were a little simpler. I'm thinking any 
time pre-internet was simpler than today, right? Any time pre-social media, Google, Amazon, maybe it was simpler in a sense, but there is this image of, if we just got back to that, that was the perfect time in family life, but it's just not true. It's just not true that there was some utopian past for family relationships or families. There, there were, it's not true that there was some time in the past when frank and friendly discussions actually solved everything. Instead, we're just handed this image and mold. And if everybody just fulfilled their role and everybody stayed in their lane and everybody did what was expected, but we know that time didn't really exist. Like it's almost like we've come up with this reimagined past so we have something to compare it to. So we can say, well, times are bad now, but there was this time. If we could just go back to that time, even though that time didn't actually exist in the way that we think of it. It wasn't perfect. It certainly wasn't perfect for everybody. I mean, if you were a person of color, those days were not days to look back on. For many women in the 50s, those were not days that you looked back on and that you thought of with fondness. When Archie Bunker sings, guys like us, we had it made, it prompts the question, who were the guys he's talking about? And who's the us? Who's the guys like us? Because that infers there were a whole lot of people who weren't guys like us back then. This image, this, this idea that this was a perfect, simpler time, but the reality is there's never been a perfect time when it comes to family. There's never been a perfect family. There's never been a perfect time for family. Some of you you look back on those times and you actually experienced that time and you maybe could say, well, when I grew up in the 50s, that's not what I experienced. Maybe you experienced something close to it, but many people would say, well, I grew up during that time and it wasn't at all like that in my house. Or some of you could say, my parents grew up in that time and they did not become Ozzie and Harriet. My experience with what that time produced in my parents was not some perfect utopian parent at all. Again, certainly if you look back as a person of color, you see those images and you know there's a lot that's not told behind those black and white images. There's never been a perfect time, right? The, the conclusion of all of that is that family isn't perfect and it never has been. And if we can just dismiss this idea that there are perfect families or there was a perfect family time. Family's never been perfect. It's never going to be exactly perfect. And if the 1950s is not far enough to go back, go all the way back to the Bible. Have you read about the families in the Bible? They're awful. They're awful. Like 90% of them are awful. Adultery, polygamy, abuse, Family members literally at war with family members. What in, our, in our tradition, in our Christian faith, our Christian tradition, one of the very first family stories is a brother who murders his brother. Right? 
Like, where do we go back to find this perfect family that's supposedly somewhere in the past? It's not there. It's not there. When God chose to give us stories, when God chose chose to give us families to look to, for whatever reason, he chose not to give us Leave It to Beaver or Ozzie and Harriet or My Three Sons or Father Knows Best. When you read, especially the narratives of the Old Testament, you see a lot of family carnage, family brokenness, which maybe, maybe was part of God's warning to us. What we said last week, families are capable of tremendous good and doing tremendous harm. And God, rather than give us the leave it to beaver image in the Old Testament, says, look, Families can get sideways. Things can go wrong. People can be harmed. It's not that God is not for families. He is. He created the family. He works through families. There are principles in the Bible that are very positive for family, like love and honor and protecting and caring for. Things like obedience and authority in the right perspective all a part of family. God does give wonderful instruction to family, but the examples that he gives over and over again with a few brief uh, um, exceptions is that family relationships can be hard. In this series, and we're a long way from being done uh, with this series, it's gonna, we've got a few more weeks coming. In, in the next couple of weeks, there are gonna be some wonderfully encouraging uh, thoughts about family. We're, we're gonna talk about principles for different aspects of family, younger families, older families, uh, that sort of thing. We're gonna get to some wonderful principles from God's word. It's gonna be very encouraging and uplifting. Today is not that day. <laughs> Today we're gonna talk about the hard places. We're going to talk about the reality that there is pain and there is hurt in family. Now, this is very difficult for me as the talker this morning because I have to talk in some sense in very general terms and, and family isn't general. Your family is specific to you, right? Every person's family experience is personal and specific to them, and so I, I can't say specific things to all of the families represented here. Your family's specific to you. I have to talk in some general ways this morning, and what, I, what I'm praying is that God will take some general thoughts, and, and you would listen for the Holy Spirit as to how to apply it specifically to your family. Listen, listen for the Spirit's prompting today as to how He would say, yeah, this one's for you, or you need to think about this. Don't listen to the, what you're thinking because you'll tune out the stuff you don't want to hear, right? Just like I would. You'll pick and choose the things that you want to hear. Listen for what the Holy Spirit is going to say to you, about you, or for you in the specific situation of your, of your family. One more comment, and then we'll jump in. Today, <clears throat> I'm going to keep steering this back towards parenting, It applies to every family relationship. It it can apply to siblings. It can apply to cousins, aunts, uncles. Okay, it can apply across the family tree. For today, it's most helpful. If the example I use is parenting, feel free to apply it beyond that. But I am going to kind of keep steering us back towards parenting. Because when it comes to parents, I'm going to give you three categories of parents. 
All right, three categories. We're going to big picture. We're going to break it down, and and then we're going to wrap up. Here are the types of parents that you might have had. Here's the first type. It's the imperfect parent, the imperfect, or sister, or brother, or uh, uncle, or aunt, or grandparent. The imperfect parent. Now, newsflash: that's all of us. Like every parent falls under this category. Every single parent is an imperfect parent. There are no parents to get everything right all the time. None, zero. Your parents didn't. If you are a parent, you aren't getting everything right. Everybody falls under the imperfect person, imperfect parent category. Now, when it comes to imperfect parents, I give you three reasons why we are imperfect parents. Number one, we are imperfect because of sin. Parents are imperfect because of sin. Uh, the Bible tells us that all of us have a broken, fallen nature. We've been separated from God by our sin. It's the whole reason Jesus came and, and lived and died and rose again to reunite us. We put our faith in him to reunite us relationally with God. Every single person is imperfect because of bro- sin, spiritual brokenness. And that brokenness tugs us towards disobedience to God. Uh, conflict in relationships, weaknesses, desires that we need to manage or we need to resist. Every parent is an imperfect parent, first of all, because we're, we're all sinful. We, we have a broken nature at work inside of, uh, inside of us. Paul says it this way, Romans three twenty three: For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person, every parent, every child... All means all. For all of us have this imperfect, sinful nature at work within us. In the New Testament, when Paul writes his letters, he repeatedly says to us, you need to become more like Jesus. We sang that song just a minute ago. You need to be more like Jesus. You need to replace selfish attitudes in your heart with generous attitudes. You need to replace anger with love and kindness. Paul says about himself very often, I don't want you to think I've reached the goal. I haven't reached the goal. I'm still striving. I'm not perfect, Paul said. I haven't made it there yet, but I'm moving closer and closer to what Jesus wants me to be. That's all of us, and the reason that is necessary is because we're imperfect, and we're imperfect because of sin, and because of that, you're always going to be an imperfect parent. Always. Number two. Second reason we're imperfect parents. Parents are imperfect because of inexperience. Okay, the parents already know this. Maybe they haven't admitted it to themselves yet. But if the kids don't know, you didn't come with a manual of some sort. Like you didn't pop out with a three ring binder in your hand that said, here's everything you're going to need to know about raising me. Just read the manual. No kid comes like that. We wish that they did. We don't get rules. We don't get helpful tips. And when we do get helpful tips, they're all contradictory. Like when somebody tries to give you parenting advice, if you're a new parent, just prepare yourself, about to be a parent. When people give you advice, they're all going to give you the opposite advice. Like you should let your child cry it out. Don't let your child cry it out. 
You should put your child on a schedule. Don't put your child on a schedule. They know what they need. You should swaddle your child. Don't swaddle your child. Like we get all of this conflicting advice even when we go looking for advice. We have to swim through that and wade through that because we don't know what we're doing. If your parents never told you, they don't know what they're doing. They've never done this before. You're a new thing to them. And some of you are thinking, yeah, but I'm the fourth child. Shouldn't they have like figured this? <laughs> they're not any better with me. How do you know you're the fourth child? There are no baby pictures of you. That's how you know. Third, fourth, there's not a single picture of you as a baby with mom and dad. Not a single. They're too exhausted taking care of the other three to take any pictures of you. And, and sometimes we think, well, I'm down the line. They should have figured some things out. True, but you were the first time they had a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and a newborn. The first time that happened. The other problem with kids is none of them are the same, right? Parents, you with me? None of them. It's like everything you learned with number one doesn't apply to number two. And everything you learn with one and two doesn't apply to number three. They're total new creatures. We make mistakes as parents. We're imperfect parents sometimes simply because of inexperience. But number three... We're imperfect parents because we had imperfect parents. Parents are imperfect because they had imperfect parents who raised them imperfectly. Your parents had an imperfect role model. You may not realize that because your grandparents are great in your eyes. right? Grandparents get to be perfect. Parents don't. Thank you. Right? Parents don't get to be perfect, but grandparents come along and they'll like give you everything you want and they're always nice and they're always patient. That's because they get to send you home. Like they don't have to live with you. But we meet these grandparents and we think, oh, they're perfect. And your parents are thinking, that is not my parents. Those are not the people who raised me. I don't know who they are. Your parents are imperfect. You're imperfect as a parent. Because one of the reasons is because you had imperfect parents. And we don't always think that way. We, we, th we think about the angst that our parents caused us or, or the things that they did wrong. And we're going to get to that. We're going to get to the hard stuff in a minute. If you're sitting there thinking, yeah, mine was way, it was way more than being imperfect. We're going to get there. But for, for a lot of us, we, we need at least an element of grace towards our parents because our imperfect parents were raised by imperfect parents and sometimes we know part of that story and sometimes you don't even know all of that story quite honestly your parents protected you from some of that story perhaps in some cases my, that's my situation my parents protected me from some things that they had to work through because of imperfect parents your imperfect parents they had imperfect parents and for whatever reason, we often find it difficult to extend grace to our parents. And understanding in that sense, I'll say it a little more directly. Some of us hold our parents to a standard that we hope our kids don't hold us to. 
Some of us hold our parents to a standard of perfection, but then when we turn to the generation that, that's coming after us, we hope they give us grace for some of the dumb things we did as parents. Some of us hold our parents to a standard that we really hope our kids don't hold us to. We hope that as they get older, there's a moment where they realize mom and dad weren't perfect and we made some mistakes. And, okay, and I know there's a lot of gray. I know there's a lot of range in that comment. However, you and I have to learn to extend grace both ways. And, and this, goes, this is one of those areas. It goes all across the family tree, not just parents, siblings, aunts and uncles nobody's perfect in your family tree not a single person everybody's had imperfect role models imperfect parents everybody's had stuff that they've come through worked through experienced in their life and sometimes just a little bit of grace goes a long way we we all have imperfect parents that's a category we all fit under some parents are what i'm calling today the inattentive parent we all are imperfect parents some of us have, maybe some of us are, the inattentive parent. When I say inattentive, I don't mean they're inattentive to their family, although that may be true with this type of parent. I mean they are inattentive to their own imperfections. This parent is inattentive, not necessarily to the family. They're inattentive to the fact that there's stuff they really need to be working out, and they're not working it out. They don't look in the mirror. They don't say to themselves, I want to be a parent that honors and, and glorifies God. I want to do the best that I can with my imperfections to raise whole, healthy kids. That means I've got to work on some stuff in me. The inattentive parent never looks at themselves. The inattentive parent never tries to fix anything. The inattentive parent is not interested in Paul's words of, hey, you need to be growing. You need to be changing. You need to be more like Jesus. You need to set aside anger. You need to set aside resentment. You need to set aside all of these things that are holding you back. They're unwilling to do that. You and I can't help it if we're imperfect. We can do something about whether we see that imperfections or not. Those imperfections or not. Whether we are willing to let the Holy Spirit do something about those imperfections or not. Whether we're willing to more and more conform to the image of Jesus day after day, week after week. I, I see this biblical example. I see this in the life of David. Uh, he was at times inattentive to his family, but David just didn't have really good self awareness. He, he never seemed to come to grips with how his detachment from his children, how um, his, his arrogance at times, how his sexual immorality spilled over down the line and had devastating consequences on the rest of his family. And David, <clears throat> this is the scary part, David was a great king. David wrote worship songs. David is described as someone who had a heart for God and yet there was this blind spot in his life when it came to his family. There was this blind spot when it came to his children and how he should be leading his family and, and how he, he, sh he should be uh, encouraging and influencing 
his plan. He never saw it. He was inattentive. And we can open God's word and we can go through the life of David and you will see carnage after carnage after broken relationship after devastated child. It just spilled out because he wouldn't look it in the mirror. He wouldn't identify it and say, I need to change. One of the challenges for parents is as a parent, we can often feel that that. Our role is to always know the answer and to always be perfect, even though we're not perfect. We can slip into this, I said it, and that's how it is. And I know sometimes you got to pull that out. Like every once in a while, you got to play that card. Some people, that's the only card they have. Their insecurities, their weaknesses never allow them to say, you know what, I inherited some things downstream from my parents that I'm still working on and I need to be honest about those things and sometimes I need to apologize. Sometimes I need to say, no, that was me. I'm sorry. Sometimes we need a posture of humility because it's only when we see those imperfections in ourselves that we can keep from passing them on to our kids. I mean, we, we use the phrase break the cycle a lot. This is how you begin to break the cycle is to admit there is something to break. There are some things I inherited that I do not want to pass on to the next generation. Identifying those. Allowing the Spirit of God to work on those is how you begin to break that cycle. Some of you are the product of a, of a family that, where the cycle was broken. Like way upstream, generations before you, maybe two generations, maybe three generations. There was, there was specific destruction in your family and somebody upstream said, no more. It's not flowing downstream anymore. No more. It ends with me. Whatever it was, the addiction, the anger issue, the abuse, whatever it was, somebody upstream said, no more. How do you do that? Well, the only way to do it is to know you need to break it so that you won't hand it on to the next generation to say it ends right here and that's not easy I say that quickly and easily easily it's not easy to do it's not easy to be that pivot person in the family tree that stops the line of carnage because it's in you you've seen it modeled year after year your whole growing up this was your environment you saw dad respond to mom like this you saw a lack of communication you saw conflict you saw problems handled with violence you saw that over and over again and it's in you and I mean you gotta let the spirit of God go to work in you to stop it to break the cycle I'm not saying it's easy I'm saying that the only way you can break the cycle is to know that it needs to be broken. Identify the sin that's there. Identify the family problems that are there and determine, God, use me to stop this right here. Sometimes it can be hard because some of us have a tendency to see and experience one thing and it be so distasteful to us us want to resist it so much that we run all the way to the other extreme and we create problems on that and you grew up in a very strict 
maybe abusive home and you determine I am not going to do that I'm going to break the cycle and then you become so permissive that there are like no guardrails for your kids I'm not saying it's easy like on, on both sides of, of that issue it, it can be problematic but it's necessary and the only way it can be accomplished is if you see it everybody's an imperfect parent some, some parents are just blind to their imperfections and they just keep passing it down the line they keep responding the way they've always been responded to third category the imperfect parent the inattentive parent there is also the inexcusable parent the inexcusable parent um, and you may not I don't know how you feel about that word. It's the word that I landed on. I realize within inattentive, there's a really broad range of what happens between imperfect and the end of inattentive. But at some point, what happens in families tips over to inexcusable. Just inexcusable. Uh, we, we said last week that there are certain shoulds and should nots when it comes to family and parents. We look at family and we look at parents and we think parents should do these things. They should, do, they should not do these things. And there are homes and there are situations where all of those get broken. Where there, where there is hurt and abuse and devastation. I wish we could skip this category. But you see the same news that I do. I hear the stories as a pastor. Uh, pastors often end up at the end of that line when somebody has nowhere else to go to and they got to tell this story to somewhere because it's been eating them up for 40, 50 years. And they end up on a couch in front of me and they tell me inexcusable things on the part of parents we back to the black and white in the 50s we covered up a lot of things back then didn't we we still cover some but more and more the reality of the, what some people experience from their parents in their home is, is seeping out and I want to say a couple of things to that group of people I want to say that we, we are trying to be a safe place for you if, if you're a victim of abuse, if that's upstream in your, in your life. We don't blame you. God does not blame you. We don't judge you. We, we partner with multiple organizations that operate in that space. And we try to learn from them because I don't know everything about dealing with that. We try to learn from them. We try to grow with them. We try to volunteer with them. We give to them. Because there is a lot of hurt in this world from families. And there are certain things that happen in families that it is not enough to say, well, we're just all sinners. That is not enough of an explanation. It is not enough to say, well, maybe they didn't know what was going on. Maybe they didn't know that was wrong. It's not enough. It is not enough to say even there, but by the grace of God, go I. Sorry. No. It's not enough to say that. 
There are things that are happening in families that we have to say, this is wrong. This is evil. Now, here's a sad reality. And this is just a Sunday I need to say it, and you, you chose to come, sorry. Um, this is just a Sunday I need to say it. Uh, the reality is some abusers hide in the church. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the latest documentaries and, and newscasts. And, I mean, if you've if you got a pulse right now, there are, abu- there are abusers that hide in the church. There are abusers that hide on the platform. Not in our church. I don't mean this platform. But it could be any platform. It could be this platform. It could be any platform. Here's what we can't do. We can't kind of coast through life and think, well, that's not, that's not happening here. How do you know that's not happening here? We've got to be honest. There are people who have been broken. There are people in our church who have been devastated. If you knew their story, you would be devastated at what they experienced as a child and their family and, and we want we want to be a safe space for them and we also want to say if you're that one hiding here if you are an abuser we want to help you stop we want to move you away from whoever you've been abusing and yes we, we will get legal authority involved if this is a legal issue. But it has to stop. I mean, the reality is all of our families are not 1950s black and white. There is tremendous hurt. A couple of things that God says to the, to the abused. I just picked out two. There's plenty more. Psalm 27.10. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And I don't mean that as some trite spiritual band-aid on your worst nightmares. That's not what I mean it as. I just mean to say to every one of you, God sees you and loves you and cares and you and I can have a whole conversation about why didn't he stop it or why did this happen and we may not get to the bottom of that but what I can tell you is where everybody else abandons you God receives you God loves you he knows you he surrounds you Psalm 68 We're told, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. And that God sets the lonely in families. It's always been a bit of a confusing translation for me. The Christian Standard Bible translates it this way. God provides homes for those who are deserted. God provides homes for those who are deserted. He he provides safe places for those who are abandoned. He provides covering, protection, wholeness for those who have been broken. This is the God that we serve. In a broken world, He is the God who loves and sees and is with you. And we want to be with you too, as much as we know how to be. If you're that person and there ever comes a point where you want to talk to somebody, I'm here. People in our church love you and would be here for you 
If you want further counseling, we can, we can uh, uh, direct you to where to get that. In the opening video, there is one line that I think they got right. Right at the very beginning, and this is not the context that they meant it in, but I think they were right. Home is a lot of work, just plain work. And that is true. Especially when it comes to dealing with the imperfections or the inattentions or even the inexcusable behavior of the homes that we live in. It's a lot of work. Let me give you just really quick. I know we're getting late on time. Let me give you really quick, give you a couple of ways to work on it. First off, know when and where boundaries should be drawn. When, it is, when is it the right time in the right way to put some distance between you and somebody who has harmed you? Most of us in this room should not start with this one. Most of us should not start there. I started there because I know they're hurting people and I didn't want you to have to wait for this one. Like I wanted you to know this one was coming so that with the others you weren't going, yeah, but what about, what about? There are times that you have to say the healthiest thing for me and my family and my future is some separation. And even, maybe not to that extreme, sometimes it, 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 the healthy thing is to say, Look, I'm not mad. I don't carry a grudge, but there's got to be some space because they're inattentive. Like they're not working on them. It's not changing in them. I've got to have some space. Know when and where boundaries should be drawn. N number two, be intentional about the characteristics you don't want to pass on to other family members. You have them. This isn't just about what happened to you. It's about what you're doing to others. Be intentional be aware, be observant. Yes, I've experienced the imperfection of my family, but where do I need to keep growing? At the same time, be grateful for what you've received from your parents. Be grateful. Most of us can do this. I know some extreme examples of abuse where this is not even possible, quite honestly. But most of us, most of us, we receive some hurt. We receive some harm maybe from our parents, but we receive a lot of good things too. Let's be grateful for what they, what they passed on to us. And then I would say, see your parents, family members as humans. You see them as humans. I think family is the most difficult, one of the most difficult relationships to see in their humanity because we all have titles. Like, yeah, but your dad, your mom your brother, your sister, your cousin, your aunt. We all have titles. We all have a limb on the tree. And sometimes it can be difficult to realize well, this, this is a human with a backstory, with their own hurts and their own struggles that they're still trying to work through. And maybe I can give them grace for that. I mean, I don't really expect 10-year-olds to be able to do that. 15 to be really hard to see your parents that way like there's that there's that early 20 mid 20 late 20 when you start going you know my mom was a real person my dad was a real person and, and, and they absorbed some of the hurt of their experiences I recently finished Esau Macaulay's uh, latest book, a, a biography. I love Esau. I love the way he thinks, and he makes me think, and I love the way he writes. 
Um, the book is about growing up in his family and kind of the arc of the book is uh, his father would abandon his family for months and months at a time. He was a truck driver. He'd just leave. One day he told Esau, young Esau, hey, you can go with me on this trip. And then he said, I'm going to go to the store and get some snacks and come back and pick you up. And Esau didn't see him for almost a year. Never came back to get him. Drugs were involved. Alcohol is involved. Physical abuse against Esau, his siblings, and his mother. And the book is kind of him wrestling through uh, his father's death and knowing that he was going to have to speak at the funeral. He was going to have to give the eulogy. And so he began to dig into who his father was. Just read a couple of things. My father was a villain because he deserted us when we needed him. But even in the realm of childhood fantasy, monsters and heroes are not just born, they're made. The same trauma that sets the context for heroic bravery also creates the possibility for failure. Towards the end of the book, he, he writes, As a child, I found it easy to hate him. But the older I got, the more I realized that people are complicated. Humans are more than one thing. My father was not just a villain. He was a victim. He hurt in part because others hurt him, especially his own father. Family members are real people. And it can be hard sometimes to see them that way, especially through hurt. Last thing, we're going to sing a song and we're going to be done. Leave the door open for forgiveness. I don't know, that's a, that's a big target to just say and walk away from. Leave the door open for forgiveness. I mean, the older I get, the more people I meet, the more stories I hear the less comfortable I am defining forgiveness. What is it? How do you know it's happened? Are there steps, five steps, ten steps? I mean, if you'd have, if you'd have talked to me uh, 30 years ago in ministry, I'd have said, oh, yeah, there's these five steps to forgiveness. Boom, 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 we'll do these five things. And now I know life is not that way. Forgiveness is often a long journey, and sometimes you don't even know when you've arrived or if you've arrived. So I would say just, just keep the door open. I, I know there's some inexcusable parents in some of your backgrounds, and, and honestly, I, I don't know that I could forgive what you've been through. I, I don't know that I would have that capacity, or if you will ever be able to, but, but for most of us, just, just in case just in case leave the door open just one one more thought from Esau if we are all a mix of good and bad then there is always a chance that the good might emerge victorious in the end if we give God enough time to do his work patience with broken people and broken things is a manifestation of trust in God that's why I love Esau patience with broken people and broken things it doesn't mean you allow them to keep hurting you it's not what I'm saying 
but patience with broken people. And broken things is a manifestation that I still trust that God can work in the hardest of places, especially in family. Let's pray. God, thank you for the tremendous good that many of us received from our families. The hopeful encouragement and influence. And with that came some scars, some brokenness on a wide range of scale, some minor and maybe insignificant, some traumatic. We are grateful that through it all and above it all, you're the father that gives a home to the abandoned, a mender of hearts. Teach us to walk in grace, especially with our family, to leave the door open to forgiveness, not for the other person's sake and only some for our sake, but just because we trust that you could do anything. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.